Hello and welcome to The Shepherd's Voice, the podcast of Conducton Covenant Presbyterian Church here in Purcellville, Virginia. My name is Pastor Charles Biggs and I'm here with Pastor Ben Franks. Good morning. Good morning. Today, Pastor Franks, we continue our study of the Heidelberg Catechism and we're going to look at Lord's Day 19. And so we'll look at questions 50 through 52. Allow me to read these questions and then if you would... uh, Take us through them, biblically, confessionally, pastorally. uh, Encourage our hearts. Question 50. Why is it added and sits at the right hand of God? Answer. Because Christ ascended into heaven for this end, that he might there appear as head of his church, by whom the Father governs all things. Question 51. What benefit do we receive from this glory of our head, Christ? Answer. First, that by his Holy Spirit, he sheds forth heavenly gifts in us, his members. Then, that by his power, he defends and preserves us against all enemies. Question 52. What comfort is it to you that Christ shall come again to judge the quick and the dead or the living and the dead? Answer, that in all my sorrows and persecutions with uplifted head, I look for the selfsame one who has before offered himself for me to the judgment of God and remove from me all curse to come again as judge from heaven who shall cast all his and my enemies into everlasting condemnation, but shall take me with all his chosen ones, to himself, into heavenly joy and glory. Amen. Yeah, there's a lot here, and this is very much connected to what we've talked about in previous episodes about the ascension of Christ, that because Christ has ascended, he is also now presented as seated at Christ's right hand. The writer, uh, the author of the Hebrews, letter to the Hebrews, puts it this way, right at the beginning of the book, he's talking about how there's this, uh, climax that has happened in God's revelation that he long ago spoke through uh, the prophets, but in the last day he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And then verse 3 here, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And really, the author is introducing this in his letter because it's getting to what the whole book is about, which is the superiority of Christ. And, And the evidence that he sees of that is that Christ is the one who is seated at the right hand of God, not the angels, not Moses, not us in our works or anything else. All of those things uh, that were given in the Old Covenant and the Old Testament are meant to point us forward to what we now have in fullness and in reality in Christ, who is the risen and ascended Christ seated at the right hand of God. And so the, the Catechism wants us to meditate on that. If, if, if the Bible is, is putting that at the foreground, why is it doing so? And the first thing we see again is that Um, is kind of the obvious point that that position of being seated at the right hand of God is a position 
of power. It's a position of authority. Uh, it's a throne that Christ is seated on now. Um, what we see that vision of in Isaiah 6 is um, looking forward to what um, what what Christ would experience as uh, not only by virtue of his divinity as the second person of the Trinity, but also by virtue of his person and work as our Redeemer and as the head of this of this new creation. Uh, we mentioned in, in a previous uh, episode, Colossians 1, I'd like to read a few verses from this. This is one of those just um, the depths of Scripture kind of things, just such a wonderful passage. Colossians 1.15 is talking about Jesus, and it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So it's, it's kind of looking back at, at the second person of the Trinity and, and drawing out who is this one, who is Jesus, who is the Christ. But then we see him not only as God, but as God for us, verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And it draws together so many wonderful aspects of the person and work of Christ, not only his work of creation, but his work of redemption, not only his reconciliation, but his ruling now, for us. That's a that's an amazing thought to think of Christ ruling, but Christ ruling for us, for his people, that we are actually part of not only his kingdom, we're not only his subjects, which would be a privilege in and of itself, but we're his servants. We're uh, his people. We're actually united with him. Uh, Paul goes so far to put it um, in, in Colossians uh, that we are even now, he is seated and we're even now seated with him at the right hand of the Father. Um, and, and that's what we need to, to, to grapple with, that that's where Christ is. And because that's where Christ is and we're in him, that's where we are. And that just leads us in to this, this next question, question 51. How does this glorious truth that Christ is seated at the right hand of God, that his work is completed, that his work is done, that he has now reconciled us to God and therefore is ruling over us, um, how does that benefit us? And it, and it draws out two answers. First, that through his Holy Spirit, he pours out his gifts from heaven upon us, his members. Uh, Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 4, that Christ is like the victorious king who goes up to the capital city to pour out his gifts on his people. He brings in uh, the bounty and the booty of all that he's conquered and then gives that to his kingdom. And uh, that's something that that Christ, you know, when he's talking to his disciples and he's trying to prepare them for not only his death, but what comes after his death, that after he dies, he's going to be raised again, and then he's going to be ascended. And that might feel like they're being left behind, like they're being impoverished. But he says, you're not being impoverished. I am, I am leaving so that I can send my spirit to be with you, to be in you, to transform you so that you can become like me, so that you can be conformed to my nature, so that all the blessings and the benefits, the fruits and the gifts of the Holy Spirit can be poured out in you 
and and through you as his church. That's what Jesus explores there in in the the Gospel of John, especially to help them see that his ascension is not an impoverishment, it's an enrichment, because it's by virtue of his ascension, because he is seated at the right hand of God, that he now pours out that spirit that was poured out on him in his baptism, and which is why it's talked about as the baptism of the spirit, that we're sharing in what Christ has already done and experienced for us, and that by that gift of his Holy Spirit, one of the things that he's doing is giving gifts from heaven upon us as his members. Uh, and we see that happen in redemptive history there in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, that it's this great moment where the 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 part of the consequences of sin are, are reversed, right? That curse of Babel is, is, is reversed as people from all different places are united and can hear Christ in their own language. And they're brought into, right, where it ends is, notice not just that individual people had this incredible mystical experience, it ends by saying, and these number were added to the church. And then right from there, we go into the life of the church and the officers of the church and the work of the church. It becomes like reading the book of church order. And that is a natural thing, right? Pentecost leads us there. It should in a right way. And, uh, and that's what we see happening, that Christ is building up his church by the gift of his spirit, and he builds up his church by the gifts that the spirit gives. And that's what Paul, um, goes on to talk about in Ephesians 4, that because God has given these gifts, he's given this spirit, he's given his church what they need to grow and to mature, um, pastors and teachers and evangelists and uh, and all the other gifts of the spirit that, that Paul will talk about uh, in his letters to the Corinthians and in, in the book of Galatians and so forth, that this is what we have because Christ is seated at the right hand of his Father. And so there's this wonderful truth. That's part of the benefit of Christ's ascension. And secondly, that by his power, he defends us and keeps us safe from all enemies. Uh, we're used to hearing those closing words of Christ uh, as he is about to be ascended in Matthew 28, that, um, that I, will be, I will be with you till the end of the age. And that happens by his Spirit. But we also read, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And that's the grounds by which Christ can make these promises. And so we're reminded that because he is on the throne, he's able to give the gifts of his spirit. And because he's on his throne, he's able to defend us and keep us safe from all enemies. And again, that leads us very naturally into the final question of this Lord's Day, which is looking ahead to that day when Christ will come to judge the living and the dead. And while that might naturally sound like a terrifying thing, a fearful thing, uh, the the, the, the catechism wants us to, to hear how the scriptures speak about it, that that's a day that we anticipate, that we look for. Um, that's where we see that, that defending and keeping us safe from our enemies, finding its final fulfillment in. That while um, there may often be times where it seems like Christ's enemies are winning, well, there will often be times where Christ's people are dying, being led as sheep to the slaughter in imitation of their Savior, that that's not the end of the story. And that Christ is always on his throne, even if we don't feel like he's on his throne. And so it begins by saying that we, as God's people, when we're experiencing distress, when we're experiencing persecution, can still have confidence. We can, we can turn our eyes to the heavens. We can do what the psalmist talks about in Psalm 121, lifting our eyes to the hill from where whence my help comes. It comes from the Lord, uh, the one who has made us, the one who has redeemed us, the one who will return again. And so we confidently await as judge, the very one who has already stood trial in my place. And what that means is that 
the reason why the judgment of Christ can be something we look forward to and anticipate is because our judgment, in a sense, has already taken place. Believers will experience the last judgment, but that experience of the last judgment is not condemnation. Paul says in Romans 8, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's rather a vindication and an acquittal because uh, we have the record of Christ, because we have the Spirit of Christ, because we have been conformed to Christ more and more in our sanctification, dying more and more to sin, living more and more to righteousness. And so that coming of Christ in glory is something that we long for because it means that the last vestiges and consequences of sin will be dealt with, and it means that all the enemies of Christ, his enemies and our enemies, will be condemned uh, as well. And again, that's something that I think we can sometimes um, you know, push against in our modern age. We don't like the idea of, of, of condemnation or punishment, but it is good news because you know you, we think about the evil and the horror in this world. We think about the wickedness that takes place, the things that um, the the innocents who are harmed, and and the pure things that are defiled. and And the good news of the gospel is that those things will be dealt with. That 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 Christ does see. Uh, the suffering of his people, that he catches our tears in his bottle, that, that he records every injustice that takes place, and that he will deal with it, either um, in the, the judgment poured out on Christ for his people, or in the judgment that he will pour out on people through Jesus Christ. And so this ends with a great comfort for believers and a call for unbelievers, that that day of judgment is coming. And so do we want to be those who are God's people, those who are his friends, where that judgment can be a good thing because it's the coming, it's the return of the king, it's the coming back of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, or do we want to be the rebels for whom the return of that king is a day of judgment and condemnation? Yes. That's great. That's, you know, it's a, it reminds me of Romans 8, you know, that nothing shall separate us from the love of God in Christ, and that if God be for us, who can be against us? Um, when you were speaking at that last part, I, I was reminded of Psalm 110. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You're a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. But nothing shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Well, I hope that uh, another uh, uh, podcast has been encouraging. I pray that for all of our listeners, we would remember what Jude says at the end of his letter, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting on the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. May this be another way that you can build yourselves up in your most holy faith, waiting on that fullness of mercy that will be revealed in the Lord Jesus when he returns. Amen. Amen. If you'd like to learn more, you can find resources about this and many other topics on our church website, www.catoctin.org. That's www.ketoctin.org. You can find out more about the work of Pastor Biggs as the regional home missionary of the Presbytery of the Mid-Atlantic at www.joiningtheharvest.org. If you found this episode to be useful, we encourage you to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, and share it with your friends. If you have questions that you would like us to answer or consider in a future episode, you can send those to us at shepherdsvoicepodcast at gmail.com. 
And as always, we encourage you to join us for our next episode of The Shepherd's Voice.